Today we're continuing on in our Defining the Relationship series and uh, looking at now the relationship of parenting um, and what does the Bible say for us as parents. And so that's going to be primarily in Ephesians 6 verse 4. We're just going to do one verse this morning, um, but we're also going to jump around a little bit. We're going to jump over to Hebrews chapter 12 uh, a little bit later, so you might want to put a a marker over there, and also Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll be getting there a little bit later as well, um, as we look at how do we parent on purpose for the Lord, okay? And um, so, um, I got a little game up here this morning. Anybody recognize this game? Anybody know what this is? All right, who's never played Jenga before? Anybody? Never played Jenga? Okay. All right, so, so Jenga, the goal of this game, right, is to take blocks out of the bottom and stack them up and get them higher and higher without knocking down the tower. And the key to this game is really not the blocks, it's really about balance, right? It's about balancing the tower and balancing yourself and making sure that it all stays there. And if you fail to keep it in balance, if you move just one block wrong, it all comes tumbling down, right? Parenting is like playing Jenga. It's all about balance. And thankfully, God's word is going to help us know how to keep the right balance as we build our kids into adulthood. And he's going to give us insight into that in verse 4 of chapter 6 in Ephesians this morning. And so this is the question that we're going to look at around this verse is how well Am I balancing discipline and instruction with my children? How well am I balancing discipline and instruction with my children? And so to help us with that, let's go ahead and look at our verse this morning, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Short and simple, he says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up and the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so three major parts to that verse. The first one starts with a command. This is point number one. Do not provoke your children. That's what he says, right? But before he even gets to that, he calls out fathers specifically. Did anybody else notice that? Um, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children. But if you go back into the Greek, it actually, that word can mean fathers. It can also mean parents. All right, so moms are not off the hook this morning. Okay, this applies to you as well. Um, But I do think maybe he's calling out fathers, maybe especially in this, um, because as he's just delineated in the previous chapter, that husbands, fathers are to be the head of the home and leading out in that. And so they oftentimes are in this role, and sometimes our temperament can lend itself more to provoking our children than maybe a mother's temperament. And so he does kind of call us out here a bit, but he says this, he says, do not provoke your children. So the word provoke there obviously is key. And provoke here means like domineering or demeaning or otherwise disregarding your children. That can look lots of different ways. Um, It could include us putting unreasonable demands on our kids at times. It could include giving unjust punishments to them, kind of knock them down a rung, right? Um, It could mean humiliating them or belittling them in front of others being hypercritical of them and their behaviors, good or bad. Really, any time we as parents are responding to our children in pride or in spite or in anger, we are potentially provoking 
our children. Not provoking your children, on the other hand, really starts with learning them. If you've got more than one kid, hopefully you already know this, they're different, right? Can I get an amen from anybody? Like, we have three girls, all completely different. All kids are different, so we have to learn our children. What, how do they think? How do they feel? How do they act? How do they respond? How do they flourish? How do they fail? They all act, they're all different in all of these things. And so for us to know how to help and not provoke our children, we have to learn who they are and how to respond to them appropriately because each one's different. It's kind of like teaching your kid to ride a bike. I know some of us probably in here probably had that experience. Like you're, you're trying to teach them how to ride the bike and teaching them how to ride a bike is all about knowing when to grab and when to release, right? And hopefully with as few falls as possible before they get it. Right? And so you're running alongside them, and you step, when do I step in and grab it, and when do I sit back and let them go? Right? When do I speak up? When do I hold my tongue? When do you pull them out of the situation, or when do you just let them play and figure it out on their own? Not provoking is all about learning your child and when to grab and when to release and when to discipline and when to instruct and balancing this whole parenting act with them. Interestingly enough, when Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger, he uses the same phrase over in a different letter in Colossians chapter 3, 21, but here's what he says. He says, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged. So he ends it different. But they really kind of overlap a lot, right? They kind of go together. Um, Our children become angry, they become discouraged, they become frustrated, when they feel like they can never be good enough for us. When they think that they can never please their father. That breaks their spirit, not just their will. Sometimes as parents, we have to break the will of our children so they will learn how to obey authority. But when we put them in a situation where they feel like they can never win, they can never be good enough, that doesn't just break the will, it breaks the spirit. And it discourages and it angers them. When our discipline and instruction lacks love and compassion, it will provoke our children to anger and rebellion. Another verse that's helpful here is Psalm 103, 13. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So he's, the psalmist is setting up this comparison, right, between earthly fathers and God as our father, which then helps us to think about how does God father us, right? How does he parent us? When we mess up, when we sin, when we disobey him, which we do a lot, how does God respond? Well, he does correct us. He doesn't just let it go, right? Like he does correct us. He does discipline us. But as soon as we return to him in fear and repentance, he also loves us and shows compassion and pulls us back in. It's a both and. This is what we're called to as godly parents, is to discipline and instruct our children, yes, but always with a spirit of love and compassion. Not provoking them with a heavy hand or a prideful heart. 
And this is something that I was, I was, as I was preparing this, I was thinking, like, I have to constantly be on guard with this myself. Because I'm, I'm a person, I tend to have very high expectations for myself, for our home, for our church, for my kids, for all of that. And that can be a great thing if it's managed and communicated correctly, right? It can encourage, it can build up, it can spur on to greatness. But when it's not communicated correctly, it can be provoking. It can lead them to feel like they can never meet those high expectations. So I've learned over the years that I have to listen to my kids, and I have to listen for statements like, nothing I do is ever good enough. Or no matter what I do, you're never happy. Because those kind of statements are warning signs that my kids are feeling provoked. That they're feeling angry, that they're feeling discouraged. And in those moments, I have to be listening well enough to respond and to encourage and to say, no, 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 we love you, we support you, no matter what you do, right or wrong, we're still here, we're not going anywhere, and reassure that relationship, and then also check my own heart. Are my actions, are my words being overbearing with them, leading them to these conclusions? It's just kind of a little checkpoint that we have to keep our eyes and our ears open to as parents. It's our job. It is our job to mature them and to grow them and to help them go through the hard things, but not in a way that loses the love and compassion of Christ. This doesn't let us off the hook as parents. We still have to parent. We still have to do what we're called to do but we have to find a way to do it in a way that is loving and encouraging and compassionate to our children. So ask yourself this question this morning, parents, as we get started. Do my kids show signs of being provoked? When you listen to their words and their statements, when you watch their responses and behaviors in your home, do they show signs of being provoked? Are they angry? Are they discouraged? Are they frustrated at the expectations that you have for them? And if so, maybe there needs to be some adjustment or maybe just some more conversation around what that looks like. So the first part of this is parents is do not provoke your children, but then he gives us the positive side, right? And two more things here. He says next, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So point number two is discipline your children in the Lord. That word bring them up means like nourish them, right? Love them, care for them. It's very similar to how husbands are supposed to nourish and care for their wives, right? So it says bring them up in discipline. And the Bible defines discipline as loving correction. I think our culture has lost the reality that discipline is actually essential, for nourishing and caring for a child. The Bible is very clear about this. Discipline is a sign of love and care for your children. Do not provoke does not mean do not discipline. Two different words, two different concepts. It's actually quite the opposite. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates 
his son. But who, he who loves him is diligent to discipline. Failing to discipline your child is unloving. And it's confusing to them. Because they can't make sense of this world without someone else bringing in the rules and the boundaries and the guidelines and helping them see how life works best. And that's what discipline does. When we don't discipline, we will actually provoke them by not disciplining. Because they don't know where the rules are, they don't know the boundaries, and they're always constantly like, what do I do? And we're like, they can't make sense of their own world. And it's discouraging. And so if we're going to discipline as parents, let's look more at God's perspective on discipline. So go ahead and flip over to Hebrews chapter 12 for a second. Go back to your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. There's a whole passage here on God's discipline of us. And I think we can learn a lot up from it as parents. So Hebrews 12, picking up in verse 7, said it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, all, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen to that. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the first thing I want you to see about God's discipline here is all God's kids are getting it. Okay? That's what he just said. He's like, if you're really a son, if you're really a child of God, you will be disciplined. Because God loves you. And that's what a loving parent does. He says, if you're not being disciplined by the Lord, then you're illegitimate children. You're not actually part of the family yet. And so the discipline of the Lord is a good thing. And likewise for us, as godly parents, we need to discipline our children because we love them. It shows our love for them. Failure to discipline our kids is a sign of either permissive or neglectful parenting. Not gospel-centered parenting. I did a whole t- sermon series on parenting a while back, and it covered these different categories of parenting. If you, if you weren't here for that, or if you want some more resources on that, you can go to our website and find it. It's called Shooting Straight About Parenting. I don't have time to get into all of it this morning. But the most important thing you have to remember in this area is that you have to be their father before you can be their friend. First, they need that leadership, that discipline, that direction from us as parents before we can ever get to the friendship level with our kids. That's your job. That's your responsibility from the Lord. Hebrews goes on, he says, Earthly fathers disciplined us and we respected them. Right? It's just common. Like, because when a parent disciplines their child, then all of a sudden the roles become clear. It becomes clear of who's the authority and who is not. Who is the parent, who is the child. And they need that clarity in order to follow. 
He says, we respected them because they disciplined us. Shall we not much more respect God who disciplines us? Parents, when we discipline our children, we are training them and preparing them one day for them to experience God's discipline and to know how to respond to it correctly. Our job is to teach them to respect authority, first ours, then God's, and then every authority in between that God has put in place. Here's the the key. We discipline and teach respect for authority now when the stakes are low so that one day when the stakes are high with their boss, with the police, with God himself, they will know how to properly respond to authority with respect and honor. They learn that with us now. And if we don't teach and train that to our children, we're setting them up for a life of pain. Hebrews goes on, he says, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. This is the purpose, right? Through loving discipline, we teach our children to learn and to follow God's ways, to be holy as he is holy. To point them to the Lord. This is what it means to discipline in the Lord. Right, the in the Lord part comes because we're pointing them back to the Bible, back to the gospel, back to God and to his ways. Not just our preferences, not just our ideas. It all comes from him. And then he makes this statement. He says, discipline seems painful for the moment. <laughs> yeah, it does. To us and to them. Parents, you know, like you're giving that punishment to your kid and you're like, man, why did I do that? Now I have to like monitor that and like police that and now it's more of a punishment for me than it is for them yeah it's it's painful it's painful now but later it yields peace and righteousness with God and with others we must discipline our children in the Lord that's what he calls us to do but what does that mean what does that look like and so I gave you a very long and crazy definition for discipline there in your notes. I'm going to just I'm going to walk through it really quickly, okay, because I don't have a lot of time this morning. Loving discipline is a measured amount of momentary pain supplied by a loving parent in response to rebellion by a child to offset the momentary pleasure of sin and rescue them from a lifetime or eternity of self-inflicted pain. Long definition. Let me break it apart piece by piece for you, okay? First of all, notice it's a measured amount of pain. Parents, when you discipline, you're not supposed to bring all the pain that you can bring to your child, okay? It's not all that we can do. It is a measured amount based on their age, based on the offense, based on what's appropriate for that moment, right? So it's a measured amount of momentary pain. This is also important. Discipline needs to have a starting point and an ending point. It should not be this cloud that just hangs over your child indefinitely, right? There needs to be, all right, there's the behavior, here's the punishment, now it's over, and now there's reconciliation. 
The discipline's done. Now I'm going to love you. I'm going to hug you. And we're going to move forward together. All right? It's measured amount of momentary pain. And there could be lots of different types of pain. All right? When they're young, it could be physical pain. As they get older, you have to find other types of pain. Social pain, technological pain. There's other things you can do to discipline your children. Again, it needs to be age-appropriate. If you're still using physical pain on a 12-year-old, that's probably a bad play, okay? Like, you need to adjust as it goes. So, measured amount of momentary pain administered by loving parents. Notice it doesn't say angry parents or frustrated parents or controlling parents or exhausted parents. It also doesn't say grandparents or school administrators, or pastors, or babysitters. Parents, you cannot punt this. You have to be the primary ones who are disciplining your children. Others can come alongside you and help, but you have to own this. By loving parents in response to rebellion. That's really key as well. We punish, we discipline for rebellion not for childishness, right? You don't discipline a three-year-old for acting like a three-year-old. That, they don't know any better. That's, that's where they're at. You do discipline a 12-year-old for acting like a three-year-old, right? Because they do know better. And so you discipline rebellion. You discipline disobedience. You discipline that, that, that defiant spirit and heart towards you or towards someone else not just for being a kid and making mistakes. In response to rebellion, to offset the pleasure of sin. Because sin is fun. Like, what? Pastor, you can't say that. That sounds very heretical. Sin is not fun. No, it is. The Bible actually says sin is fun for a season. And now you're thinking, well, don't say that. Don't tell my kids that. (laughs) Relax, they already know. That's why they keep doing it. That's why you keep doing it. Because it's fun for a season, but too many of us know that it's fun for a little while, and then it sometimes brings a lifetime of regrets on the backside. And some of you are living in that lifetime of regret right now, just wishing that you had a do-over. And our job as parents... As much as we're able, we're not God, we're not perfect, we can't do it every time, but as much as we're able is to discipline our children to try to steer them away from that lifetime of pain that comes from sinful decisions. So discipline your children in the Lord. Point number two. But he's not done. He says, bring them up in the discipline and... In the instruction of the Lord. That's the, other part, that's the last part of verse 4, right? So point number three is instruct your children in the Lord. Instruct means to teach. It means to train them up in God's ways. And what's interesting to me here is instruction is more proactive, where discipline is more reactive, right? Like they've done something, I'm going to discipline them. That's reactive. Instruction is, no, on the front end, I'm going to teach and train and prepare them before they even get there. And again, parents, this is your job. This is not the church's job. 
Again, we joyfully get to come alongside you and help and to resource you and to encourage you. and to, We love to do that, but it's primarily your job to instruct your children in the Lord. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6 so we can see this firsthand. All right, Flip, beginning your Bible now. We're on both ends today. All the way to the beginning, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Starts off like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command command you today shall be on your heart. Here it is. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so here, God's speaking to his people, and he says, listen, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. I love that he starts with that, because the first step of godly parenting is a call to faith. And not faith in your children, faith in you. Mom and dad, you have to have the gospel first before you can ever teach it to your children. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you come to a place where you are trusting in the Lord as we sang earlier? You can't pass it on if you don't have it. And so we as parents have to first acknowledge that we are sinners, that we have rebelled against God, that we are the ones headed for hell and wrath and punishment. And the only way we're going to get out of this, the only Hope that we have is that God himself came down to earth. That Jesus came in the form of a man, he lived a perfect and sinless life, and then he went to the cross to die a sinner's death. He gave his perfect life as a sacrifice for you and me to cover our sins, to pay the death that we owed. He died in our place and he went to the grave and three days later he rose back to life. Proving that he was God and offering all of us sinful, broken parents, salvation and forgiveness and grace. If we will put our faith in him and turn away from our sin. Parents, you have to have it first. If mom and dad aren't saved, they can't lead their children in the ways of the Lord. So first, hear that the Lord is one. And then two, he says, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Not only do you have to believe, you have to love and follow Jesus with your whole life. With all that you have. Not just on Sundays. Not just showing up here for an hour and a half and checking the box, and then the rest of the week it means nothing. That's not what we're talking about this morning. You loving and following Jesus with everything that you have every day. That's where your children are going to learn it. Not from the Sunday school teacher, not from showing up and singing a couple songs. From you. And then he gives the command, he says, teach your children. Teach them God's word, teach them God's ways, teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for their life. Teach them not just with your words, but with your whole life, with your example before them. One of the most common ways that I see parents 
provoke their children to anger is hypocrisy. It's claiming to love and follow Jesus at church, but then failing to live that out the rest of the week at home. That will provoke your children. Forcing your kids to come to church and read God's word and learn God's ways is not what's going to turn them against the church. I am so sick of hearing that lie in the church. I don't want to force my kids to come to church. I don't want to force them to go to students. I don't want to force... Why? Why would you not put them under the instruction of God's word every chance that you have? That is not what's going to turn them against the Lord. It's going to be you not doing it yourself. Bring them and then bring yourself and get your heart and your mind on the Lord. That's what will make a difference in their lives. It's forcing your kids to do something that you're not willing to do, that you're not modeling yourself, that will provoke your children. He says, teach your children and teach them diligently. How do we teach our kids diligently? He gives us three examples right here in the text. First of all, he says, talk. Talk with them about God's word all the time. Teach them and talk about how God's word is the foundation for everything in our lives. As you sit, as you walk, as you lie down, as you rise up, everywhere you go, always and everything, talk to your kids about the word of the Lord. This is how you teach them when they see that it's a part of every area of life. He says, talk to them about it and then bind it. Bind them on your hands and on your, on, in front of your eyes. He's talking about placing God's word as a reminder in your life. Putting it where you will constantly see it and hear it and remember it. Keeping it ever before you and ever before your family. So parents, what sources of God's word are feeding your family? What sources of God's word feed your family on a daily basis? Are you teaching your kids to have a personal Bible reading time every day? Are you having devotions with them? Are you showing them how to pray? Are you teaching them how to read the Bible? Are you going over biblical concepts with them so they can learn and grow in this? How are you keeping it in front of them all the time? What about music? I mean, we are so blessed to have a plethora of great Christian music today. And so many people are like, well, it's not as good as this, that, blah. Baloney! It's great! And even if it's not whatever else you're listening to, think about the words that are in front of your kids. If you're not feeding them God's word, you're feeding them something else. And it matters. Because it's in front of them all the time. And then he says this, he says, write them on your doorposts and on your gates. Quite literally, he is saying, display God's word in your life. Why? Because we platform what we prioritize. In every area of life, we platform what we prioritize. Right? 
Whatever you value most, that's what you put on display in your lives. Look at your clothing. Look at your home decor. Look at the decals on the back of your car. What are you platforming? What are you telling your kids and the rest of the world is the most important thing to you? Is it a team? Is it a brand? Is it an image that you're trying to portray to other people? Maybe it's even your kids. Maybe your kids are plastered everywhere, and they think that they're the center of the universe. Well, of course they do, because their name and their picture is everything to you. Or are you platforming the things of the Lord? His word, his worth, his worship. Literally, if, if I came to your house right now, and I, I didn't know you, you didn't know me, and I just looked around, would it be obvious to me that you're a follower of Jesus because of what you have platformed in your life? On the walls of your home, on your car, on your clothes, in your life, could I see it that you are living and reminding your family about God and his word? You see, parents, all of our lives, all of our lives are instructing our children What do you talk about most with your kids? What do you do most with your kids? What are you teaching them to value? What are you teaching them to worship by the way you live your life? Instruct your children in the Lord. Okay. That was much more direct and emotional than I was expecting to be. So I don't know where that came from, but hopefully that was for somebody. Okay. I want to end with just like a, a really like clear application this morning. It's called the stages of parenting. I got this part of it, at least most of it, from a, a pastor friend of mine, Jeremiah Canfield. I kind of tweaked it a little bit, but I think this is really helpful for us to see where this balance of discipline and instruction comes from. And how it works in each stage. Because in every stage of parenting, you need a different balance, right? Some stages need more discipline. Some need more instruction. And getting it right is all about balancing those two things at each stage of your child's development. Okay? So that's what I want to look at with this chart. You can kind of fill it in as we go here. And um, hopefully this will be helpful. Stage number one, parents, you are the teacher. And in this stage, you need frequent discipline an occasional instruction, because the kids at this point are only like zero to five, right? And so they don't understand all the things. Like, you don't need to give them an explanation for everything. They don't get it. They're three, okay? They just need the discipline. They just need to know behavior equals consequence. They don't need a big conversation about it, all right? They need to learn how to respond to discipline. And uh, your discipline is a primary job here, and it needs to be four things. It needs to be clear. Again, not a deep explanation, It just needs to be behavior equals discipline. Make that clear for them. Make them the connection so they know what it is that's being disciplined. It also needs to be consistent. That's only fair to both you and to them, that both sides know the expectations, and this behavior gets this discipline, and this behavior gets this discipline, and it's consistent day in and day out. So they're not always guessing at what you want. It needs to be calm. And you're like, I know, but, but they... They make me so angry. Yeah, I get it. But remember, 
They're the kids. You're the adult. It's got to be calm. And lastly, it needs to be Christ-like. With love and grace. And that looks something like this. They do the behavior. You step in. You stop the behavior, whatever it is. You take them to a private location if possible. And then you have a short conversation with them, but it's very simple. What did you do? Make sure they know what, was, what, they did, what they did that was wrong. What did you do? And why was it wrong? Not why did you do it. They don't know. Again, they're three. They don't know why they just did that. They just did it. Okay? It doesn't matter. What did you do and why was it wrong? Make sure they know why the discipline is coming. Then you give whatever discipline or punishment is appropriate. And then as soon as the punishment is over, you show them affection and restoration. I love you, daddy loves you, and we're moving forward together. Okay? It doesn't hang over them. They're not tainted forever. They're not colored with that brush. This was just a moment in time. We discipline the behavior and we're moving forward. Right? Christ-like discipline. The gospel focus here in this stage is sin and repentance. That's your only goal. Teach them this is what sin is and this is what repentance looks like. Right? And then along with that, you also get to show them love and restoration. That when you repent, this is what you get. Love and restoration. That's what God gives when we repent. Right? So you're modeling the gospel for them. All right, that's stage number one. Stage number two, parents, you become the trainer. Right? Here, you need frequent discipline and also frequent instruction. Right? It's a both. It's a both and because now we're in ages 6 to 11. And in this stage, your goal is character. Right? Now we're moving past just disciplining the behaviors to dealing with the heart. Trying to train their heart into godly character. You're going to have to explain a lot more in this stage and tell them why. It's wrong and why you're disciplining them for this behavior. They need to know that to grow in godly character. And your main job is to train them in three areas. In their actions, doing what I'm told to do, when I'm told to do it, right? Also train them in their attitude, doing it with the right heart attitude, right? Not just because God, because dad's making me or because I don't want to get the punishment because I have a heart that understands why this is good and right, and I'm going to do it unto the Lord. And then you're also training their aim. Every chance you get, pointing them back to the gospel, pointing them back to God's word, pointing them back to Christ, having lots of conversation, so much conversation. (laughs) Because they have to learn in this stage why to follow the Lord and follow the rules. The gospel focus here is transformation. Your goal is transformation. If they're already saved by God's grace, maybe they got saved at a young age, praise the Lord for that, then your goal is to try to help transform their hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? One degree of glory to the next, following Christ, becoming more like Christ every day, transforming that heart through his word. And if they're not saved yet, then you're trying to transform their view of sin And their view of God. And you need to set up that juxtaposition for them so they can see how sin and God don't work together. Hopefully leading them to a place of salvation. So that's the gospel focus in stage two. Uh, Stage three, 
you're now moving into the coach stage, okay? Stage three is coaching. This is occasional discipline and regular instruction, right? Because we're moving up again. Now we're in ages like 12, 18. You're hitting those teenage years. And the goal here is wisdom, right? Trying to instill wisdom into our children where it's not just do this because I said so or do this because I'm making you, but because this is good for your life. This is a wise decision for you to make. Because they have to start making more and more of their own decisions. They have to start owning who they're going to be and how they're going to live. And so we're, train, we're trying to hope coach them into that. And coaching in this stage requires five specific areas. The first is direct discipleship. You have to take an active role in your child's life, discipling them, talking about the Bible, praying with them, doing a Bible study, whatever it takes to actively disciple that child into Christ. They get it now. They're old enough. They can understand it. They're ready to go. Number two is Christian community. You need to coach them into groups of Christian community where they have other people speaking into their lives from the perspective of Christ. Not just you. They need more than just the parents. They need other adults, other people speaking Christ into their heart and into their lives. Christian community. Number three, you need to coach them into, through consistent conversation. Just consistent conversation. Keep that door open. The best way to do this is family dinners, right? Have consistent family dinners throughout the week where you're sitting down, you're talking together. It's a set time. Everybody knows this is what we do. And it keeps the communication flowing. Number four is covered choices, right? We do have to start giving them more choices because they need to start owning it for themselves. But we're still the parents. They're not adults yet, so they need to be covered choices, within certain boundaries, within certain guidelines, where they still get to make some of it, but it's not just carte blanche, whatever you want to do, right? This comes specifically in areas like technology and media and social media, in dating, in setting their schedule and choosing how they're going to use their time, all of that. They're not ready to do that completely by themselves yet. They still need you to coach them through it, but they need to have some decision-making power in it as well. So it's finding that that give and take there. The last one is learning leadership. We have to teach our kids to be leaders. And first, you have to teach them to lead themselves. Can they lead their own heart through scripture, through prayer, to follow Christ? And then teach them to be servant leaders of others. A while back, a pastor friend of mine posted a graphic online that I thought was super great for this. And, and it's, uh, you all heard the statistics, right, where like 75% of kids are leaving the church when they get to college and they don't come back. Well, this study looked at the 25% who stay and what did they have in common. And they found five factors that were common for kids who stayed in the church after high school. These were them. Number one, they ate dinner five of seven nights a week as a family. That growing up, they had five nights a week where they were sitting down with their parents, eating and having that consistent conversation, that discipleship time. Number two, they served with their families in a ministry. They were serving already as kids, as students, alongside their parents, seeing discipleship in action. Number three, they had one spiritual experience in the home during the week. It wasn't just Sundays. At some point during the week, they were doing a Devo with mom and dad. They were praying. They were doing something to get some spiritual nourishment in the home. Number four, 
they were entrusted with, with responsibility in ministry at an early age. They weren't just alongside mom and dad. They were entrusted with ministry. They were being taught servant leadership through the church at an early age. And number five, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. Some other voice in the Christian community that was speaking into them with the love of Jesus. And parents, this will not happen on its own. This is our job to get them in these situations, in these areas, and coach them into this type of discipleship. Gospel focus here for this age is eternity. Our goal is to set them with a view of life beyond themselves, which is extremely difficult for teenagers, right? Get their eyes off themselves and off the things of this world and looking at the God who they will spend the rest of eternity with, we pray and hope. Lastly, stage number four, the last stage, you're like, hold on, they're done, that's 18. No, you're still a parent. The last stage is the investor stage, right? This one has very rare, if ever, discipline, uh, and it is available instruction, right? This is ages 19 plus, so they are adults at this point, so you're now parenting adult children, but there's still some parenting to be done. The goal here is faithfulness, helping them navigate life with faithfulness to the gospel and faithfulness to their calling in Christ. And we want to invest in them in four ways. First, we want to counsel them. Parents, there are times where even with your adult children, you need to step in and give some counsel and give some wisdom in key moments. Now, don't do it all the time because then you're overbearing and you're in their business and that's not going to go well. But like, pick your, pick your points and like, in that key moment, step in and say what you need to say. Give that counsel. You can also uh, get, uh, invest through consulting, right? Being available when they need help, when they need answers, they know the door is open. They can come to you and ask, and you can give them that wisdom that they're looking for. Also encouraging them, cheering them on, building them up, no matter what's going on in their life, just being in their corner, and then praying for them. Be that advocate with Jesus for them all the time. Never stop. That's from birth all the way through the end. Praying for your children. And the gospel focus here is faithfulness to God. We want them to finish well. Right? We want them to finish well. And so take a look at those four stages. Where are you at in that as a parent? And then go back to this question. How well am I balancing discipline and instruction with my children? The answer to that question looks different for all of us, right? Because we have different kids, different personalities, we're in different stages, different circumstances, different family structures. There's all kinds of variables to that. So nobody can give you, I can't tell you the answer on that question. You have to answer that question. But we all have to answer it before the Lord because we've all been given this responsibility to parent our children in Him. And so the best place to start, parents, honestly is just ask that question to the Lord. God, how well am I doing here? How well am I balancing these two things? And Holy Spirit, show me where I'm missing it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and guide you in the way that you need to go in each, with each one of your children. Let me just close with this. Parents, listen. There's a lot here. 
There's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of weight that God puts on us. But you also need to know that there is no such thing as perfect parents. There's not. All of us are going to mess it up at times. All of us are going to need the help of the Lord in this. All of us are going to need the grace of the Lord for when we mess it up. And that's okay. God knows that, and he still loves you, and he's with you, and he will not abandon you, and he is going to walk with you through every step of it, and his grace is going to be plentiful every time you need it. Our job is just to press in to him and try to follow his word the best that we can and trust the Lord with the rest of it. So don't walk out of here feeling guilty or ashamed this morning in any way. Feel encouraged that God has a a plan and a purpose for you as a parent, and he's right here with you waiting, waiting to do it. Just fall on his grace. Stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, come to you today, God.